Welcome back to Beyond Well. I'm Sheila Hamilton, and this is a program for people who want to learn more about their interior lives. I have been committed to learning more about racial justice and to providing some equity for people who really deserve the spotlight. I'm elevating Black voices, and I am so thrilled to be joined by Dr. Marissa Alert. Dr. Alert is a licensed clinical psychologist, and she's a speaker who's passionate about making wellness accessible to everyone and helping people achieve lasting lifestyle changes. She has experience working with adults to help them better, better manage their stress and improve their health habits, which is something we're super, super interested in during COVID. And Dr. Alert received her PhD in psychology from the University of Miami, her bachelor's from Dartmouth. She's active in her community, and she enjoys sharing these tips on how to make healthy lifestyles a habit. Thank you, Dr. Alert, for joining us. It's so good to see you. Thank you so much, Sheila. I'm really excited to be here and have this opportunity to talk about this really important topic. Well, where are you today? Tell me about your surroundings. So right now I am in Massachusetts. I'm in a, a town where people have been pretty great in terms of social distancing and wearing masks. And so that's been really great to see. And has the scariness about the economic uncertainty and what's happening to people's lives hit you personally, Marissa? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, what's been going on has caused a huge disruption for a lot of people. And I think most folks have been affected by it. And just thinking about family members as well. I was actually in Baltimore and moved back to Massachusetts just so I can be closer and be more supportive for my parents. And so there's just been a lot going on. People are dealing with so much. You know, it's one of those times where you're just struggling just to make things work, to make ends meet. And one of the things that makes it even more difficult is that people often don't have the strategies to deal with these uncertain times and deal with the challenges that are they're being presented with right now. So I want to talk about those strategies after we get to know you just a little bit more. You're young and you're already the associate director at John Hopkins Healthcare Solutions. That means you've been involved and interested in psychology for a long time. Where did that interest come from? Yeah, so started several years ago I, while I was in college at Dartmouth. And so one of the things I've always been interested in is health, health in general, you know, what makes us well, what are the things that contribute to disease or chronic illness. But it wasn't until I had the opportunity to meet a health psychologist that everything changed for me. What drew me was that it really tapped into this desire to understand, you know, what really drives people's behavior how can we best support them in making meaningful changes? And how do we address those challenges that are so often common and pose a threat for people to you know, reach and achieve the goals that they want to? And so as a psychologist, I've had the opportunity to tap into that desire. I have the opportunity to work with people to figure out you know, what's going to work best for me, given my circumstances, mm -hmm. and also to help them come up with a plan that actually fits into their lives. Oftentimes when people are trying to deal with difficult, you know, or changing difficult health habits. They do what seems popular or what other people are doing, but don't really take into consideration the circumstances that they're in in that moment and what's really going to work. And so I find it very rewarding helping people to put pieces together so that they can achieve the goals and live the life that they want to. You know, it's fascinating that you talk about how important it is to have individualized solutions for people because a one-size-fits-all approach to psychology is just never going to work. And yep. I, I really want to speak about the unique circumstances that um, people in the Black community are up against. First of all, 
there's not been a traditionally open attitude towards seeking care. How do you deal with people when they talk about their um, some of their old feelings, uh, rumors, things that prevent them from actually seeking the care they need? You know, in order to appropriately address that, it's important to understand where people are coming from, to understand that their concerns about seeking help aren't completely unwarranted. Mm. There's a lot of distrust when we think about the history between African Americans in the medical community. There's also a lot of stigma as well in terms of you know, mental illness. And I think that's beginning to change. Mm. But in order for us to appropriately address those barriers and concerns, we have to meet people where they are. Mm. We have to use the same language that they're using, right? And it's if we come in and we're using phrases and we're taking ideologies and approaches that work for other populations without considering, hey, the history, without considering, you know, what there would be open to, and just slapping on these solutions and saying, hey, this should work for you, should, you, should, you know, you need to do this. That's not going to work. Oftentimes, as a health psychologist, my door in is to focus on the symptoms, focus on the symptoms and make that connection between the symptoms they're experiencing or the challenges they're experiencing and how that's preventing them from either being able to function optimally, being able to connect with their family, being able to perform their jobs as they like to, and taking it from that approach as opposed to, hey, because of this, this, and this, or you know, you you reach or you meet criteria for this particular symptom. That's something that is discussed, but taking that initial approach of, hey, I understand that you've been struggling. I understand that you're having a difficult time coping. Let's get to the bottom of this. Let's understand why. Are these symptoms preventing you from doing? It's really fascinating to me that you are minimizing or at least downplaying the whole reliance on the DSM and diagnoses in order to truly understand where people are at. And in the end, isn't that what healing is all about? Is to have someone that you can be completely honest with and to be able to share your unique experiences and get some, some tips. And that's why I was super fascinated that you have really landed on cognitive behavioral therapy as probably the most effective tool for your patients. Why is that? Yeah, so cognitive behavioral therapy, just for people who may not be aware, is an approach to therapy that focuses on changing the way that you think. And by changing the way that you think, what results is that you're then able to change the way that you behave. And so the treatment essentially focuses on changing thinking and behavioral patterns. And the reason that it's been so effective is that it really helps people to understand in the moment, in the circumstances that they're dealing with, how am I perceiving that situation? And we all know that that perception is really powerful. And if we're able to help people identify that there are these unhelpful thinking styles that they have, that awareness is really powerful. But the hard work then comes in and how do we then change that? It mm. takes work, but when people are able to achieve it, we see remarkable results. We know that Cognitive behavioral therapy is really effective in terms of treating anxiety disorders, depression, some types of substance use, eating disorders, and as well as some severe mental illness as well. I want to talk about something that I hear across the board from every member of my community. It does this regardless of gender or race, and that is dealing with emotional eating during um, COVID. It just yeah. seems that because we're locked in, because there's availability of food, because we're all stressed out, that this is something people are super concerned about. Give me a template for how cognitive behavioral therapy might work to have people understand what they're thinking about when they're emotionally eating. 
oftentimes when people are engaging in emotional eating, they aren't fully aware of their thoughts. It's not something that they do automatically. When we eat emotionally, and that just refers to eating in response of really unpleasant or negative emotions, such as feeling down, if we're anxious, if we're feeling stressed, we turn to food. And before I answer your question, I just want to state that this makes sense because food is rewarding. When we eat these high fat sugary foods, it makes us feel good. And it does that because our stress hormone cortisol actually goes down. And so we feel a lot more relaxed and we feel better. And if we do something once and it works, it makes sense. Hey, when I'm feeling stressed again, I knew, you know, I know that worked the last time. Right. Let me do that again. If that continues to happen, this can be something that's really automatic for a lot of folks, right? They mm-hmm. turn to food because it worked before. It's easy. In some instances, it's very accessible. And so that becomes the coping strategy. I want to break right now and just play something that I saw on my Instagram feed. And it's a, it's a wonderful singer who replicates herself nine times to sing, I'm at the refrigerator again. She's at the refrigerator. Let's just listen. Somebody stop me. She's at the fridge again. I'm at the fridge again. She's at the fridge again. Calling my name. She's at the fridge again. What about the chicken? Sit down. Mashed potatoes. Sit down. Them collard greens. Sit down. How about them bagels? Sit down. Awesome fruit. Sit down. Watermelon. Sit down. Ice cream. Sit down. Oh, what? Sit down. So this clip is wonderful, Marissa, because what I see in it is, you know, if it, it if this is one of your coping mechanisms, perhaps that's not a problem. But how do we help people understand this is a coping mechanism? And P.S. You need about nine or ten of those to get through something mm-hmm. that's as serious as COVID. How do you work with people that way? Yes, and I think it's important first to acknowledge that what they're doing is is understandable. It's common, right? We know that emotional eating is not a, you know, a medical condition or a medical disorder. It's something that everyone does. And a lot of the concern arises is because people who tend to engage in emotional eating often, they have a tendency to have a higher rate of friends or they may have higher rates of obesity, but it's something that we all do. And I think to help people understand that there are some consequences towards or for emotional eating is really important, but to also help them understand that here, there are going to be times where you can't turn to food, right? There are going to be situations where you're going to have to rely on other strategies and help them understand that if your coping strategies aren't very healthy or aren't very beneficial, then it's going to be counterproductive towards what you're trying to achieve in the end. And so once that's set, the next step is to then figure out, okay, what else can we add to your toolbox? Mm. In some instances, yes, you can eat, but is that the only thing you're doing? And you don't want that, right? You don't want to have just one tool in your toolbox because circumstances are going to vary. We can't predict when challenging times are going to arise. And so you want to ensure that you have the appropriate tools to address those situations in those circumstances. You know, what's fascinating in talking with you is just um, the parallels between restricted eating and overeating. They're just the same. Look, it's fine to do that every now and then, but boy, you can't always do that because you won't survive, right? (laughs) And so on both ends of the spectrum, it's that same attempting to exert Mm -hmm. some control over our circumstances that are driving people. I want, I'm wondering, Marissa, if you um, have had people talk to you about the added complications of, on top of not wanting to get the virus, COVID, on top of not knowing what 
their economic situation is going to be, whether they'll be hired back from a furlough or be able to get a new job, there is this racial unease in our country right now. How does that add to the uh, complexity of attempting to try to help people through this really difficult time? Very good question. It definitely makes things a lot more complicated. And we know just with, you know, sticking to the vein of thinking about how COVID has impacted people's well-being, we know that there are tons of research about the impact of discrimination and racism on people's well-being. If we think about weight management in particular, we know that it's been found in African-American men and women that facing discrimination, dealing with racism can affect their weight. It can contribute to obesity as well. And so adding that additional layer to the puzzle definitely complicates things. And when you're working with someone who's dealing with facing discrimination, seeing things on the television or on social media, that reinforces this notion that, hey, you're less than, you are not equal to, to people who look different from you. That's something that can have a tremendous impact on people's well-being for a number of reasons. It's not even just the the feeling of being less than, but the feeling of being targeted, the evidence of being threatened with your life. I mean, that's what I try to really empathize with is if I saw the images that we've seen on the daily news of people getting beaten and shot and murdered by the police, and it was a white woman, you know, of middle age, I'm sure that it would resonate in a, in a way in my body that was so terrorizing that I'm not sure that I even want to go outside. And so I, I really have this kind of empathy for people right now, especially African-Americans around, how do you find an equilibrium with so many complications to our lives? So I want to ask you personally, what is it you're doing to keep an even keel? You know, I think a lot of it just comes from my upbringing and knowing who I am mm. and having a very clear and strong sense that, and being told from a young age, there are going to be people who, just because of the way I look, are going to have a whole host of assumptions about me, what I'm capable of. And if I pay attention to that, then that can be really detrimental to my success. Mm. And so that's something that's always at the back of my mind. Does that mean that when I see these images of Black men and Black women being killed, mm. the lack of justice around, you know, the cult, you know, people who perpetrated these crimes, it's really frustrating. It's enraging. And part of the self-care comes in and recognizing when I need to distance myself from this. Yeah. There are times where you can engage and there are times where you need to disengage. And I think learning that and being aware of how it affects my well-being and not equating disengaging with a lack of care. Yeah. Or a lack of desire to see things change. But it's it's realizing that unless I'm in my best possible state, it's going to be really difficult for me to then continue to help others, to continue to provide services that can help them get through these difficult times as well. Beautiful, Marissa. Do you have anything you want to add? Yeah. So my, you know, one of my final thoughts is just for people to, if they're struggling with managing their weight, I know a lot of people have gained weight during quarantine. If they're dealing with emotional eating, it's just, just really figure out one, what am I really dealing with? What is it that's really driving these behaviors to increase that level of awareness? The other thing I want to leave people with is just to practice self-compassion. These are extremely difficult times and our routines have been disrupted. Our habits have had to change. We've had to make adjustments. These things take time. And for us to have the expectation that 
I can continue to operate and do the things that I used to do pre-COVID, it's going to set us up for failure, disappointment, and just make us a lot more critical of ourselves than we need to be. So just be patient with ourselves to work on increasing our awareness and just being in tune with what we need and what works for us. I love it. Dr. Marissa Alert joining the Beyond Well team. We really appreciate your time from Massachusetts. If you like the program, please give us a thumbs up where you listen to podcasts. Once again, this is Beyond Well with Sheila Hamilton. Thanks for listening. Bye, bye, bye.